Season 5, Episode 16 of the Decoded Podcast. Just jumping in. Just jumping in like tech teachers. Right, guys? It's, uh, I want to I wanna throw props out. So all the chatter about shop teachers. First, I want to just throw out there, you know, deep love to all my broad-based technology teachers out there. It's not something that I talk, I don't talk, I don't talk in the recent seasons. I don't talk about my sort of my path to spec ed, my path to student success and even guidance, access, like all that kind of stuff that um, was seeded or started by uh, you know, me coming into teaching as a tech teacher, coming in as a hospitality, as a chef, right? And um, it's, 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 <laughs> you and I have talked in the past about your sense of the, you know, chefs and people that work in the back kitchen are, you know, they're all part of a rogue nation. Like there's just something, and there's something not quite right or just a little bit off or something kind of strange and sparkly about those folks that choose to work in a kitchen like that. And I, I, I wouldn't disagree. I've, I've met more than my share of characters. I can remember when I read, I read um, Anthony Bourdain's book, Kitchen Confidential. Like I recommend that. It's funny. I, I recognized, I recognized all the people that he met. I hadn't met every one of those people. And um, at times I was some of those people in the kitchen. Um, I never, I didn't leave hospitality as what some of those characters. So yeah, anyone sort of looking for a a fiery read, you you read the Kitchen Confidential and you'll get get a sense of um, get a sense of what um, get a sense of what I'm talking about. So, but the one thing that I wanted to mention is that despite the you know that perception of kitchen people being a part of Rogue Nation, I can remember when I came into when I came into came into teaching in the high school, I felt like I was the the sort of like the prim and proper distant cousin of some of the tech teachers that I was working with because they really did, you know, I would go and do an on-call and there was like just sort of like this sense of danger and disarray in being in their classrooms. I I on one hand I knew I wasn't because I understood the tech um when I was going through teachers college, my cohort were um, construction workers, electricians, plumbers, uh, cosmetologists. Who else was in there? There was a there was a few different tech teachers in there, and despite the fact we all connected and talked with each other, we weren't. Um, oh, ComTech as well was in with us. Computer Tech was also a part of our crew. Despite all of us kind of being clustered together, we didn't actually talk much about our trades because we didn't do any course specific stuff on our trades. It was all about how do you translate what you did in your spaces, in your uh, workshops, in your auto shops, in your kitchens, in your lab spaces, your salons. How do you take that lived experience and make it work in a classroom? So we did a lot of work on lesson design, program design, unit design. We talked about the integration of our different techs, which was really cool. Um, I can remember building, and this was sort of before I had ever experienced. So I was doing something in teacher's college before I had ever experienced it in high school, but I can remember being put together with, it was myself. There was the, I think it was the com tech. I think it was the com tech teacher. And it was the, um, there was another that had, I forget what their background was, but it was like me doing culinary, someone else that had the actual design background and then somebody else, I forget what the third one was, but we basically put together a program, like a unit of study where the students would come to me and we would design a cupcake recipe. And then they would go on to the next teacher and then they would design the packaging and the advertisement part of it. And then they would go on to the next teacher and they'd actually build the packaging and the box for it. So that was kind of our concept. And this was before, like I've seen that now in high schools. But a really cool way to do that kind of integrated thinking is beautiful. But that sense of danger of being in their labs, um, like I mentioned to you on the on-ramp, there was something, there's something about, um, I think, what we tolerate in the trades, not tolerate, bad word. Um, if you were to see someone, if you are to see someone working in a kitchen, I, I said this to you, and there's carrot peels on the floor, the, there's a pile of like 
random looking garbage two or three feet away from you and on your table where you're uh, maybe making bread dough, you see chicken bones and chicken skin just on the counter there beside you. Like if you saw a chef working that way, I don't think, I think someone would go like, yeah, that's off. Like you, you don't do that in the kitchen yet. Um, I'm walking into some of these auto shops and wood shops and like there's, there's wood chips everywhere. Like somehow it's, it gets on me. Like I leave the class. I'm like, how did that get on me? Like, like you wouldn't tolerate that leaving a kitchen. Like how did that beef juice get on my arm? You just wouldn't want it. So there's a little bit, there's a funny double standard there that it's almost like in construction auto shop, maybe electrical, never experienced that. There's a tolerance that somehow the mess means learning. That's what it kind of comes down to that. The messiness means learning, which is wonderful because I think we need more of that thinking. Um, and I think we tolerate the mess a little bit more. Um, and I think the mess in the learning is really Im important to remind, uh, well, everybody of, like even more so now, I think, considering uh, how, much, how much time we've spent online and really not having as many real tactile messes as we do when we're learning in the classroom. They're all kind of virtual messes and often by design, um, like it's, it's really easy. It's really easy. Like if I'm working in the kitchen, um, really, if it's really easy, if I'm working in the kitchen and I knock over a bowl of something that was important to me, there's a very easy, quick way to get kids thinking about how you're going to fix that. Yet you're dealing with a really complex situation. If you play that same thing as a video to someone that has to point and click, they never really get the same buy-in, right? It's not their bowl. It wasn't the thing they were going to eat. They, there isn't the same embarrassment, like all the kind of learning that you learn when you make a mistake in real time, which happened a lot in my kitchen labs. Um, yeah, you don't get the same. You don't get the same feedback. You don't get the same information. I remember I'll throw a shout out to um, a dude that just embodied this, Paul Ord. Uh, beautiful, beautiful man. Just an amazing, an amazing teacher, but really did embody the Rogue Nation. Like the guy had a, the guy had a beard that was like one third the length of his body. Um, when I first met him, smoked like a fiend. Always had like a cigarette there. Like you mentioned, the on-ramp, like he had a pencil. He could pull a pencil out of somewhere. Sometimes it was in his beard. He would just pull out his marking pencil there. Um, hands that looked like someone had hit them with a hammer. They were all swollen and knuckly, cracked. I'm like, dude, like how, how like, where's, there's no bones in your hands. Those crack looks so deep, right? Uh, super, super fun fella. And he was a mentor of mine in university. So when I was in university, I was a teacher's assistant. So drama was one of my uh, theater was one of my was my sort of focus in university. But I focused on the the construction. Like I really like building sets, uh, sound design. I loved the costume stuff, like the hands on stuff. Um, and he was the technical director for the theater at University of Guelph. So I got to work with him quite a bit, and I got to do be a TA with him for a couple years, which was fantastic. But he really did. Yeah, like he, the dude always smelled like a varnish or wood, cigarettes. Um, I don't think he ever slept. Always had a coffee, some coffee and some, I never saw him with a new coffee. That was kind of weird. But he always had a coffee in some state of completion. And he was the kind of guy that would, you know, I think if he, you know, he would sort of um, look over across the stage that we're building. And there'd just be a coffee there that he remembered leaving there two days ago. He'd just pick it up and start drinking it again. So he kind of, he was, he, he's, he's the, he's the, the purest, the purest form of this memory of being like a rogue, rogue nation tech teacher. Um, I also worked with him in, uh, there was the Guelph Jazz Festival, Guelph Music Festival. And I did uh, tech work with him and we built stuff and, um, I don't know if you've, I'm trying to think of what the name of, there's a park. Oh, Karen would remember this hillside. So hillside is, I don't know if it still is a big music festival in near Guelph. It's at a conservation area. And I did a couple gigs with him there where we'd go out to this conservation area. We'd build stages and did sound design, all that kind of stuff. So I love that you're sort of bringing this because it was funny. Again, I was never. 
I mean, at that time I was working in re restaurants, but I actually thought, I actually thought that I was going to go into the trades and try and become a union member and work in theaters in the trades and actually pursue more construction that way and get my ticket that way. It wasn't until I finished my degree, I did some traveling, came back. I got my chef papers maybe five years after that. Four years after that, I got my chef papers after I graduated from university and then uh, decided to pursue hospitality. But I never got the sense like anyone would tolerate a dirty kitchen. Sorry, a messy kitchen? A messy kitchen in the same way they would tolerate a messy lab, uh, construction lab. I love it because it would... <laughs> So as you're talking about it, I'm reminded of when I was baking those cookies for my wife's um, cookie cookie exchange. And I remember she came into the kitchen and she's like, oh my God. And she's known not to stay very clean in the kitchen. Like it's not like my, she's perfectly, you know, prissy and compact and everything. No, when my wife cooks, there's stuff everywhere. And I try not to do that. But when I was baking, oh dude, it was like... I was using every single like counter space. There was stuff everywhere. There were like the the open butter wrappers were like on one side, and there was flour. Somebody over posted there. up pics. Somebody posted up pics. I, I don't know. If it's, I don't know. It's you. I think it was maybe your wife did. Yeah, I took pics of the nice parts, and then she's mm -hmm. like, "What bomb went off in here?" And she took pictures of like behind the scenes, so to speak. And you're you're so right. If I walked into a tech class and it was tidy, I'd be like, there's no learning happening here. What's going on? Like, where's the, where's the, where's all the wood? Where are the chips? Where's like, it, and I want to smell that smell. When I walk into a shop class, I want to smell the wood. I want to walk That part is true. Chips. Yeah, I would say, I think that part is true in the tech labs, tech labs. That part is true. That's one of the truths across. You walk into a kitchen, you want to smell something tasty. You walk into a wood shop, like that's some of the sensuality of the, of the tech spaces. You walk into a wood shop, you want that slightly burnt kind of like uh, two by four cut wood, piney kind of a smell, right? You walk into an auto shop, a little bit of that kind of, a uh, little bit of that sort of like murky, slightly greasy um, kind of rubber smell. I think these are the things we expect. I don't know what the same thing. Plumber, don't know. Don't know. Electrician, that just strikes me as, I don't know what you would smell as an electrician. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's some of the trades, you know, cosmetology, you know, you're, there's a, there is a certain smell. Or sort yes. of a feel to the either the makeup or the hair products, whatever's sort of happening in the space. They're like these, uh, it's a fluency, right? That cues us up, cues up memory, cues up sort of like expectation at the same time. Um, and it can be broken real fast. Like you walk into a kitchen and <clears throat> something's burning, Oof. that whole thing goes to crap. Burning, I think, probably in all senses. You walk into an auto shop or a, a construction site and you smell something on fire, yeah, you're, you're losing it, right? Um, but yeah, you do. I, I would agree. You we do crave it. We do crave it. So I want to say something about Rogue Nation. Mm -hmm. Is that I have this, and you and I have talked about this a lot. I feel like now for anybody in hospitality or who has been in hospitality that's listening, it this they might take offense. I'm not. I'm not trying to be offensive. I am stereotyping for sure, 100. Um, I am. So I, I recognize that. Uh, I'm not pretending like uh, I'm not. <clears throat> when you talk about when you talk about your work in uh, hospitality, um, the culinary arts, you know, working in restaurants, my experience has been whenever I've applied for a job in a restaurant, it's always been the kitchen. I, I never wanted to work out front. I don't want to wear a tie and I don't want to serve people, but I'm happy to clean and, and try to cook something in the back. I've never, mm -hmm. never got any of those jobs, by the way. Uh, I did work in a fast food restaurant, but I don't count that. They don't belong to Rogue Nation because anybody can work in a fast food place. But the times I've applied to work in kitchens and I've been in the kitchen and watched it and seen the characters in the kitchen, I always had like a, I always had this like feeling of, of fear. Like 
Jimmy over there doing the dishes could slit my throat in a minute if I said the wrong thing to him or if I looked at him strangely, right? Because, like, he's rogue. He's just here for his whatever hours of cleaning, and then he's out of here to go do whatever he's going to do. That's always been my, like, perception. And I guess I never fit. I never was hired to to even do dishes because I guess somebody looked at me and said, yeah, you're not going to. You're not going to survive Rogue Nation, so go do a job somewhere else. Get paid to do something else. And so when you talk about working in a restaurant, now here's the part that's going to upset people. When you and I talk, I get a vibe from you that you ha- there's more to you. This sounds so bad, but I'm going to say it anyway. There's more to you than just cooking in a kitchen. Now, I say that, and I don't, I don't mean it at a high level. Because I know you've attained, you know, like you have your papers and you've worked in restaurants where you understand the whole business. You're not just the dude in the back slinging burgers or cooking up the pasta. You, there's more to you and there's probably more to those people too. But what I'm trying to say is that there is, a, there is an edginess to these people. And you've, you've said to me that you understand what I'm saying because you've seen and met these people. You just never know when they're going to go off. They're a little bit different sometimes. And they're just in the back and nobody knows. They're just doing their job. I call that rogue nation because you never know who's doing what, who's quitting, how long somebody going to last, whether they lose their mind back there because of something or another. You just don't know. They're around the, um, the edges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I and now I'm I'm happy. This is what it reminds me of. Let me put myself, so I'm not just in my ivory tower looking down. I've been in, I like to connect the craziness of the kitchen in a restaurant with the rogue nation to people who work night crew in a grocery store. It's not the mm-hmm. same, but I, I, every time I applied for a job in a, at a grocery store, it was night crew. They're like, uh, we'll hire you for night crew. And you should see the people I met. You should see the people I met on Night Crew. It was, uh, it was Rogue Nation in a different way. People who, the number one thing, okay, so a couple of observations. When they would find out I was going to university during the day, they would lose their mind. They treated me like a professor. Like they made fun of me. Um, the ones who didn't make fun of me kept saying, why are you here all night if you got to go to class tomorrow? How are you going to – they were the concerned parents, the concerned dads. How are you going to study? How are you going to do your assignments if you're half asleep? How are you going to understand what's happening in your lecture? There was that half. Then there was the other half who were like, oh, look at Mr. Mr. Uh, textbooks over here. You know, go to the juice aisle and make sure it looks as good as your, your, the essay you're going to hand in tomorrow kind of thing. Like they chirp me all the time. And I met people who lasted one shift. I met people who were there the entire time I was there. I met people who were off. Um, something was missing. Um, I would I would say like they didn't do well in school. They were going from job to job. Like the kids that fell through the cracks in the school system, they were working through with me. And um, it was wild. It was wild to see some of the things that I saw, to hear some of the things that I heard, to spend time with these people. Like as we broke bread at, you know, 2.30 in the morning, we're eating our lunch and I'm listening to the things they're saying and I'm watching the way that they interact with humans. Mm -hmm. I would say the number one thing that these people had in common was they, they wanted to spend no time with human beings. So when I'd say to them, when I'd say to some of them, like, hey, like, you're going to get promoted. They're going to move you to the day. They're like, I don't want I don't want that. That's like their worst fear. Mm-hmm. Like, Why not? Like, deal with people? Help people all day with their problems, looking for the pickles or whatever? I don't want to deal with people. Just put me in the freezer section for eight hours. Give me the skid of food. Tell me what your expectations are and leave me the F alone. Like they, that's how they spoke to like, leave me alone. I'm like, well, look, you're talking to me. You're having a conversation with me. And they're like, yeah, and it's killing me. 
I don't want to talk to you. You know, but we're here eating lunch and it's only 30 minutes. I think I can do it. And uh, that's that's the only connection I can make to the kitchen. You should have, dude, it was hilarious. A new person would start. I They'd start. And then at the first break, we, we wouldn't be able to find them. They just walked out of the store. Like, they're like, yeah, I'm not doing this. They didn't tell anybody. They didn't, like, they just left. And then there were people who were told to leave after an hour. Like, you're out of here. You're done. And then there, an argument would ensue. Like, just rogue nation. You just never knew what was going to happen. And then even our supervisor, great man, rough around the edges. Like, just rough around the edges, different. But a funny different. There was a leadership to this to this man. Like, you could tell. You, It was one of those things where give him a good shave and shower, haircut. Put him, put him in a, a military uniform, and he could lead a platoon into battle. Like he could gain the respect of the the men and the women who were about to go and, and serve. That that he had that in him, but there was everything else around him had fallen apart. Family, school, life. I don't want to see people, but if there's an emergency in the store, I can fix it. I can make this work. I can do this. And he was a good leader. He was a good leader. When you talk to him, he had the ingredients that I was like, even though this dude was just some weirdo, I was like, I work for this guy. I'll do whatever he tells me to do. He's a good dude. And even even Rogue Nation, I saw them, I saw the the clean guys in the morning fire him one day. They fired him, told him to get out. They called him all kinds of names and told him he was worthless. Tossed him. And then it was really rogue after that. It was like, in it was a jungle. The next guy they brought in, nobody respected. And it, it was like working in the jungle. You just never knew when you're going to be eaten or attacked. Uh, anyway, I know it doesn't, doesn't necessarily connect to the kitchen, but it's the same. To me, it reminds me of the same kind of, you just never know when people are going to go off. And mm-hmm. already something missing within them. According to society, according to society, there's something missing. They're not all there. Whew, that's kind of scary. So yeah, they look at me and they're like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I need a job. I go to school in the day. Nobody wants to hire me from like 6 to 9 p.m. So here I am working nights with you guys. They'd made fun of me, but then when I gave my two weeks notice that I was, I was done. I was leaving. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to teacher's college. They were like, it was funny. They were, there was a, there was a pride. I could feel that they were proud that like one of their people was moving on up. They were moving out and up. And some of them showed that in like a very negative way. <laughs> and then some of them were very positive. Like they were like, Hey, working with you is awesome. Good luck. Go, go be something, do something with your life. Not like us. I was like, Whoa, don't talk like that about yourself. <laughs> but these were, these were like um, the full timers who had the cushy jobs at night, you know, they had families and stuff. And so they're like, you're like, you know, you're like my son's age and you're doing something with your life. So way to go, go do something with your life. Don't do what we're doing here. I was like, Holy cow. You know, these guys made a, they made a career of it and they're telling me to go away. Very interesting stuff. I don't know. Does that happen in a kitchen? Like do people in the kitchen who are successful tell other younger people, get out of here. Like you don't belong here. You can do more, even though what they're doing is enough, but they say to them, this is just a stepping stone. Don't, don't make this a career. Did you ever see that or hear that? Yeah. I experienced that as well. When, um, when I was in high school, one of the restaurants that I was working at was no tools in Whitby. And because I was, I did well in school and this, this is a place like lots of stories out of that place, but I, I, I became sort of like a, a line supervisor there and I was working there still when I was working there at a part as a part-timer as I was applying to university. And then I was going to leave for university and they actually started to call me Ivy 
the few of the the few of the the supervisors, long term supervisors, uh, started off with it being sarcastic and saying, "Yeah, Ivy League over here, you know, working in the in the in the restaurant business wasn't isn't good enough for him, so he's heading off to University of Guelph." And then it just got shortened down to Ivy. And but it kind of it did shift to um, there was support there. And what was what was um, what was sort of interesting as I was going through that application process, the restaurant I went to. So that was sort of like into December and January where this nickname kind of popped up. So I was still working at the restaurant and I went, I think, maybe on like a Saturday. I think I'd worked the Friday night before and I went on the Saturday and we would always come in through the back door. We could sort of just walk in through the back loading door. And on the back door, it was locked. I couldn't get in. And then there was a sign on the front door. The restaurant had been closed, like foreclosed, like it went bankrupt. It just, it, it shut down. So I was like, kind of standing there. I'm like, all right, like, what do I do now? It was kind of, it was a fascinating moment. And then that's when um, I, I shifted. And that's, I also had a job at a golf course. Like I had a couple different jobs that were working for me there. Um, I think I tried my hand at another restaurant sometime in there. But I managed to make enough money still to get to university. But it was there was a little bit of a little bit of sarcasm, um, but an awareness that was that was the acknowledgement. There was an awareness that I wasn't going to stay in hospitality, um, and that I had gotten sorry that I wasn't going to stay in hospitality only. The thing is that hospitality totally set up the 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 bedrock for my whole life. Like it really has. It set up the bedrock. Um, my work in hospitality. Uh, in many ways, connected my spouse and I. Uh, my work in hospitality paid for university. My pay, my work in hospitality got me the stuff that I wanted when I was in high school. My work in hospitality kept me interested in high school because hospitality became the other thing. It became the it became the school that I wanted to be at. High school was just like my part time job. I just I had to make sure that I had to make sure that I kept my level three in high school so that I could keep doing my side hustle, which became my career. Um, working in hospitality got me leadership skills. It got me connected with Toronto. It got me my house. Because at the time, it's sort of interesting thing here at the time, because I was a salaried worker for a known restaurant when we applied for our first mortgage, um, the it was my status as a full-time worker that actually helped close the deal that we were actually able to get our first mortgage. My spouse, because um, uh, she's in her first year teaching, the status on her teacher certificate was provisional. I forget what the word was, but that was a part of the actual, they, before they had EdTip, there was a different word that was actually on the OCT designation. So that came up in the conversation. They're like, well, what does that mean? It's like, well, it's just, it's what they do in the first year, but I'm, I have my contract, but it gave a little bit of, it made it question the reliability of whether or not that salary would continue. So it was my salary status, basically, that sort of allowed us to kind of move forward with that. So much great stuff. Um, one thing I'll just end on with this is that while I was in, what was that, Teachers College? So I went to Oise when I was at Teachers College. The, um, the crew that was in there that uh and it's kind of circling back to you saying that i've done other things besides the hospitality like i sort of i could at any time go back and teach it who knows i don't know what the opportunity could pre present to me in the future um <clears throat> but at the time when i was in teachers college i was so I, I i don't know if they still do it but when i became when i became raided within my union um, they gave me exper experience years based on my service and hospitality. So I got actual experience as a teacher that ostensibly moved me up the pay scale, kind of moved me along in my years of experience as a teacher. Um, so, and that I think allowed me to start at category four. So I get to start in the, the highest possible category in our multi-year pay scale. There were individuals with me at teachers college that had uh, run their own auto shop for like 20 years. And part of the reason that they were shifting into teachers college was either, well, many of them, actually, I think all of them is that they had injured out some way that actually hurt themselves in a way that they, it wasn't sustainable for them to keep working in the shop. Um, 
And part of the retraining process, I think, from the Ministry of Labor was to offer them, well, instead of giving you like long, because you still have time left to keep working. So instead of going on unemployment, we'll do the retraining. And at that time, these individuals were like, okay, I guess I'll become a teacher. So I had individuals that even like, like for me, <laughs> I had, you know, I had done university, I'd done school. Like I was aware of the the sort of like the structure of school. Um, when I stepped back into OISE, the old tools came back. The individuals that were with me in class, some of them hadn't been in a formal school setting in like 20, 25 years. And they're jumping back into university courses, right? Or at least university life, university frameworks. And here's the kicker. Some of these people, like with 20, 25, 30 years experience in their trade, because they didn't have uh, a university degree like I did, some of them, I think, were started in category two. Maybe a couple started in category three. Um, so they started in the lower categories. And what they got was a certificate. Um, a, like, you know, I get my, 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 whatever, my bachelor's of education. They got a certificate of education, which means they could only teach in the trades. They would never, unless they went back and upgraded and got a, a degree in something from a university. Now, could could it, things may have changed? Again, I'm talking about this. This story is 17 years old, but at the time, these individuals were stepping into a. I was stepping into the pay grid at a very comfortable level with opportunity and growth ahead of me for doing nothing more than just staying and teaching. I didn't have to do anything else. I would continue to grow. I was already in the fourth category, the highest category. These individuals would have had to do upgrades and would have been capped out in their category. They would have never jumped categories without going back to university, formal university degree. And that crushed me. That crushed me. I thought, like, I'm this one dude, Mario. I'm like, this dude had a had a auto shop for 20 years. Um, and it was just, it was, it was really just kind of disrespectful of the skill and investment that some of these individuals had um and there was no wiggle room like that was just that was the fact so they were being retrained to start up a job that was probably coming in at half of what their salary that they were earning with no potential for growth no easily accessible potential for growth which um kind of bites eh like it, it bites i agree um what you're talking about reminds me of um there was a lady when when we were in teachers college sarah and i there was this lady her name was paulette and she was she was much older so if i was like early 20s i'm imagining she was mid 40s at least <clears throat> and she was an indigenous individual and um the reason why i say that is because it's important to understand that at the time I didn't know this. I know it's something I learned later because I was young and dumb, right? So I didn't really care. I didn't really know. But Paulette had come from, a, I guess, a, a community close by to the university, an indigenous community. I'm not sure if it was a reserve or not, but I know that she she was teaching um, uh, indigenous students. So she was uh, an Indigenous person who came from an Indigenous community who was teaching at an Indigenous school. Uh -huh. And she, it was part of some type of program where she was part of my cohort and she was learning uh, the things we were learning. She was already a teacher though, but I guess there was some kind of program to say, hey, you can come here, you can learn some of these techniques, some of these skills and and hopefully that will improve your practice and then improve student learning. This is what I'm imagining it, how it plays out from what I heard. <clears throat> Paulette only came to certain classes, certain days. Paulette never did any of the assignments. Um, she, you know, I remember being in, in like a group with her a couple of times and we quickly realized that he was a group work, but Paulette wasn't, she wasn't going to contribute to the group the same way, the way that we thought 
was the way to contribute to a group. So what I'm trying to mm -hmm. say is we had an assignment to do. It was a group assignment, and Paulette didn't do any written component of it. So when we handed in our work, it was like a, it was a collection of, you know, five people's writing and research and reading in a package that Paulette's name was on, but the Paulette didn't contribute to in the same way. She would, when we get together and she was around, we would talk about these ideas that we were learning about um, and, and, you know, kind of comprehending them and reflecting on them. And she would participate in that portion, but she never participated in any of the stuff that we had to do to hand in. Mm -hmm. And she was devalued. <clears throat> she was devalued. I remember thinking I was so focused on getting through all this that I was like, I, I don't care. Like, here's my component. It's done. If we know that she's not going to do anything, then just let's assign her work amongst the rest of us so that it'll get done the way that the professor expects it to be done. And who cares? But she was devalued. And your story about, you know, these people like a man who owns a garage for 20 years or whatever, like that's a lived experience that is unique and is valuable in a number of different realms. And this lady was the same. She'd been a teacher forever, working with marginalized people that we marginalize because we don't provide them with what they need to live better lives and stuff like that. And I remember thinking, like, she was not respected. And she, now that I look back, she probably had so much to offer us that would help our 40-year-old selves not our 20 year old selves that it would have been, it would have been amazing to have that credit in the bank. Yeah. But people didn't, people didn't see it like that. It's unfortunate. It's unfortunate that, you know, a shop teacher or an, an auto guy, you know, at that time was going to be given a certification that would only allow him to teach in that sector and nowhere else. Like don't let him go near, don't let him go near the social studies or the English, you know, God forbid that this person get, you know, get a grade nine English class or something. Um, that sucks. That sucks. Hopefully that's changed. Because um, I think there should be, in our profession, there should be ways of upgrading or not that maybe that's not even the right word, you know, obtaining a variety of qualifications in order to bring your gift to kids in a different way. I remember it was uh, what made it also kind of stunning. Like it, what was really, what was really awesome about the training that I got was the fact that we were taught how to, we weren't, we weren't, we weren't talking specifically about, you know, hospitality or hair we were talking very specifically about what does it mean for us as tech teachers to exist in a classroom now. And it took me a few, um, just, you know, reflecting back, it took me a couple of years to stop seeing um, my students as little staff members. Like I just, I didn't, sorry, it took me a while to see them as more, I'm going to say as more than staff members. And I think it was important when I realized like I went through a phase where, my expectations with them in the kitchen was very much like, you need to move your ass. You need to get hustling. You have to get this done. And I was kind of operating under the mindset that there was a lineup out the door. Like I was like, it was almost like, um, like post-traumatic stress disorder because <laughs> I'm sort of getting flashbacks. I get the kids butchering chickens and all of a sudden I'm in the mindset that we got to get this prep done because we have a uh, two shows tonight. Like I was flashing back to being in the kitchen uh, running the restaurant. Um, and I realized, so right away I had some conversations with colleagues around like blaming the kids for being poor workers. And uh, this dude, Steve Debutat, he's a history teacher. That's where my office was, was actually my, at the time. So at the time when I came in, I started teaching hospitality. What was funny was, I was a tech teacher, but the courses for the hospitality had been given to the family studies department. 
because our school didn't have a kitchen lab, like a tech kitchen lab. It was actually the family studies room, home economics back in the day. So I was doing cooking, like hospitality training out of this home ec room. And I mean, I had a sewing station. It had a fold out ironing board, like really, really old school kind of home ec room, right? Um, so I was actually answering to the family studies head initially. I wasn't even answering to the tech head. So because I was in family studies and all the budgeting was going to family studies, I was in the social studies office. Um, just a thing. But it gave me a really great uh, start to my teaching because talking to Steve, really grounded dude, smart, funny, loved Simpsons. You would love him. Loved the Simpsons, loved Seinfeld, lots of pop culture references, really quirky fella. Um, a, a fellow Polak. He was Polish. I guess we connected on that level too. Um, but he had said, he goes, you're right. They're not good staff members, but you're not being a good teacher and you're not seeing them as kids. You have to really try to see them as more than, you know, little versions of the staff members that you just like a year ago were working with. And for like 25 years you had worked with, I was like, yeah, you know what? Like it took me a while for that to sink in, but I agreed. So I went through a phase where I was trying to see them more as just kids, kids, kids. And then I came back to the balance that I needed to see them as kids, as students, but also as staff members, because there were elements of the training to become a staff member that I wanted them still to be able to hang on to that independent living skills, some responsibility, the pride, the, uh, the grit, the drive to sort of create something and make something. Um, so why did I start with this one? Why I totally got off, off the rail. So, but basically, so my transition to sort of figuring out what it meant to not be a chef anymore was, was damn bumpy. It was very bumpy. And I would say even to this day, when I think back to all the mistakes I made, they were entirely dependent on me wanting to make the school kitchen into a, into an actual professional kitchen. And it was such a funny little, uh, what made it most problematic was that I was blind to it. I actually thought I was doing the right thing. And it wasn't until I talked to Steve, he's like, yeah, I think you can kind of, you're, because you're, when I noticed it was at the end of the semester when I lost sections. So I went from like four sections or five sections of hospitality down to two. And I'm, but I'm blaming on the kids. I'm like, yeah, the kids just aren't doing. And he's like, well, well, maybe, maybe. Man. Who knew that we were going to go down this road today, Chris? I think we had a suspicion. We always have sort of a suspicion of what we'd like to talk about, but never never anything official. I Can I just share one more story that's kind of funny? Yeah. So, well, it might not be funny to anybody. It might not even be funny to you. But um, so I still had to do assignments and stuff. Like I had to do all the same curriculum development uh, personal reflection, personal professional development. I had to do all that as well. Uh, props to Michael Tudor, who was a teacher of mine. Phenomenal dude. Um, if you're out there, Michael, thank you. Thank you for everything you did. Um, what was interesting. So in one of these moments, so I would, I would go to school in the morning. So I would, I would drive down to Toronto park, go to school in the morning. And then I would, I would either, so I either drove to Finch Station, took the TTC down, or sometimes actually, depending on how my timing, sometimes I would drive right to Toronto. Um, but either way, I'd go to school during the day, then I'd go to the student commons. Um, I was done school by, I think, one o'clock. It was the, all the courses were in the morning. And this was designed intentionally, knowing that a lot of us were still working in the industry, um, which was smart, right? So we had all our courses really concentrated in the morning, four hours in the morning, we had our afternoon evening off. So what I would then do is I would go up to student commons, do all my assignments, blah, 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 because I didn't have a computer with me. So I'm up there getting the assignments done. Um, and then I would grab a, a half an hour sleep in the commons. I would get up and then I would go down to the restaurant at Young and Queen, work, 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 work. While I was at um, Teachers College, they let me, I still stayed as a manager. Uh, so I was still managing, though I wasn't in direct control of the kitchen anymore. I was kind of like a part kitchen, part floor manager, which was awesome. Props to the, the family Spiro for letting me do that. That was awesome. Um, he, uh, so in doing that, um, damn, I lost the track on that story again. So I'm doing restaurant at night, school in the morning. 
I'm sitting in the student commons and I'm banging away at an assignment and somehow I spark up a conversation with, so they had like uh, these round tables that had four computers at them, sort of all at crosshair. So I was sitting at one and there were two students. So I'm like at six o'clock, there's another student at nine, another one at 12. And they're working on some sort of an assignment together. And um, I just kind of start up a conversation. They were in teacher's college as well. They were doing it. And they asked about me and the, the thing that they were doing, they were sort of, they were they were having to do something specific to their trip. Their one was English. Maybe they were both science. And they were actually talking about how bad it was to have to learn science again. Like they had degrees in science and then they go to teacher's college and then they actually have an actual course in science. They said they hated it. They said it's actually making them not enjoy the, th the thing that they love most about science. I was like, whew, I'm glad I don't have to do courses like that. And I rolled out to them some of the courses I was taking. And one in particular, I, I don't know if I mentioned it on the on-ramp or I mentioned it here. It was all about learning how to be in a classroom, how to use the overhead, how to write on the chalkboard. How do you, how do you hand out assignments? How do you write in, get this, writing on, writing on the overhead projector to make sure that your, um, not obscuring the actual lens so which kind of meant you had to write upside down or from the side and to still have it legible to the students and i told them about that they're like oh my god i wish we had courses like that like i wish we actually had courses that gave us kind of like on the ground thinking about what it was like to be in the classroom i didn't know anything different it was only at that point that i realized i think i knew from karen that she had done some english stuff but i didn't really think to myself like they didn't like it so Yeah, that was tell the me, thing. Tell me about sleeping at school. How did that work? Did you just literally go find a corner, lay down, and fall asleep on purpose? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's that's dude, that's that's exactly it. Sometimes there was a couch available. Sometimes it was in a lounge chair. Sometimes I went out to my car. If I drove, <laughs> if I drove down, I got to know the parking dude at this one spot that I was parked. And I would just kind of, you know, hey, how's it going? And I just go have a nap. I would pay for parking for the day. I just go sit in my car and have a nap. And then um, I wouldn't drive down to the restaurant. I would just so Oise U of T is like at I don't know was it Bloor and Bathurst, maybe something like that. Um, so the parking lot there's a if it's still there there's a Seven Eleven on the northwest corner just in behind the Seven Eleven there's a parking lot there and because of the time i got in i always got a spot there which was great mm. um and i would just say to the dude he was like hey how's it going cloth i'm like hey good and i would just go over to my car sit in the car tilt the chair back i had a little digital uh like a really loud travel clock i'd grab uh, an hour of sleep and then I uh, had my, if I was working in the kitchen, I didn't have to worry so much because I could put on the whites at the restaurant. We were provided whites, chef whites. But if I was working the floor, then I would grab my suit bag out of the back seat where I had my shirt and tie and dress shoes and dress pants. And I would just pick that up, lock the car, hop on the TTC and go down to the Eaton Center. <laughs> so. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Yet, you know, as I'm telling the story, you're like, yeah. Well, make, I did, makes sense. I, yeah. I mean, I don't remember, I don't remember sleeping, but I do remember um, in my undergrad, I remember in my undergrad, um, I would go to school, I'd find a computer lab, um, I'd check my email, I'd do some work go to class and then if I had see some some days um I didn't live that far away from uh, Carleton University I was lucky I didn't live that far away and my parents bought me a car so I could drive home but I didn't want to I didn't want to wreck my learning momentum so I'd get to yeah. school and I knew I was going to be there if I if like I had a class at one then I had a class at six or seven I wasn't going to leave school I was going to stay Actually, I went to school every day and just stayed if I had more than one course. And um, I remember days where I would I'd feel really tired after working night crew. And I did try to make I did try to make the shifts so that I'd work a night and then um, the next day um, I'd have cl 
class later in the afternoon. I, I, I didn't try to work all night and then have like three courses the next day. No. Yep. I tried either <clears throat> work all night and then go to an early morning class if that happened or work all night, come home, sleep, and then go to school um, for afternoon and evening and then go back to work if I didn't have an early morning class the next day. Anyway, I tried, I tried my best to make it work. Sometimes it didn't. And um, I remember I would just walk around the library <clears throat> and I, I, I'd pick out spots like um, at the library, there were like maybe, you know, half a dozen spots where if they were available, I'd grab them and they were off in a corner. So like they were, they were positioned in ways where they were just not, you're not going to be seen unless somebody's really looking for you. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and I'd grab them and I would set up shop to do my work. And sometimes I just put my head down and just relax, right? Like this is before cell phones and all that stuff. So I didn't have anything to distract me. Um, it would be me and the books that I was using in the library or my work on pencil paper. Mm -hmm. And I'd either lay back and just close my eyes or put my head down. I, but I don't ever remember like, laying on a couch trying to sleep you know I was out, um, gone snoring I believe, it. Oh, I believe it i don't think i ever did that but yeah man those those were interesting times and days eh wow you know what i will say you know what made it so i want to so the fear so when karen said to me because i was like i got to a point in the career actually i'll say a couple different things i'll mash it all up the second time, so when I was going to university, I got this kind of sense like the, um, there was a little bit of mixed, it was kind of lukewarm, but for the most part, I felt like they were really supportive, really, really supportive. Like they, they were sort of like, it was a little bit like what you're saying, like, hey, good for you. Good for you for moving, moving to something else. Very cool. When I did that again, because it is kind of similar when I was running the restaurant and I went to the, the two brothers, Spiro and George, I said, look, um, because they had known that I'd been trying, I'd been thinking for a little bit, a little while about what to do next. And they, on the table, was I was trying to consider whether or not I'd open my own thing, um, go with them. They were going to open up a, a a concept down in Florida, so that conversation was on there. Um, or you know, so it was either work for them, work for somebody else, work for them in Florida, continue to work at the place that I was at. Um, do something for myself. And I was like telling to Karen, like none of them felt really really like a choice I wanted. And she and I were talking about starting a family. So that's kind of like the undercurrent of all this. So I went, I went to them and I said, look, like I'm thinking of all these things. Um, they were very supportive. They're like, cool. What I didn't realize at the time is that they didn't think I was going to be successful. So back at O'Toole's when I did it, they, you know, I think had a real sense like I was going to be successful. Like I was going to make this happen. Like they wanted to believe in it. What I got from the two brothers, and I only sort of found this out afterwards, was that it wasn't the same. They thought this will be a phase and then eventually, you know, he'll come back and he'll be working for us or doing something. And I really got the sense of this. So I finished, I finished out, um, I finished out working with them, I think in the second week of August. 2004 2005 and i started to teach right away in that september i had a contract i'd gotten one um the place where i did my practice teaching i got a i got a full-time contract there so i knew over the summer because i was hired in like beginning of july which was awesome so i knew i was going to move on and it was funny because what i what was really cool is that the, all this stuff that i kind of went through which again it was just my path I have no complaints. I have no sort of, I have no complaints or compliments. It was just the path for that transition. I can remember though, very clearly thinking about that as in, I didn't know if I thought, I didn't believe it was going to happen. So despite the fact I was in process at teacher's college, I had no sense of what, it was a very new direction to go. Like there was never an idea that I was going to be a teacher before Karen said to me, Hey, why don't you go to teacher's college? Like it didn't, it, it hadn't even occurred to me that that could be a possibility. But the second part to it is that even when I got in, I had no sense of the stability of teaching. Like I had no sense of no matter what, like even if I wanted to, 
like even if I like it would be harder not to work than it would be to work in education because I could do LTO, I could do uh, um, on-call teaching, like there's different things I could do. But even as I was going through it, I didn't have a sense like I would be a teacher. And um, I found out afterwards that neither did my two bosses. I did my first year of teaching and that June, one of them asked me out for dinner. So after I'd finished my first year of teaching, they're like, Hey, like, let's catch up. Let's go out for food. And we went out for dinner. We went to milestones actually uh, down on highway seven, close to where we were. And we were, um, it was, a, it was a good meal. It was a good meal. Uh, good conversation. Good to catch up, check in, you know, like how's this person doing? How's that person doing all that? Yada, yada, yada. And then at the end of the meal, when we're having coffee, uh, Spiro, he pulls out some blueprints and he's like, okay, so wondering if you'd like to kind of get on board with this. So this was after I'd been away for a year. I had actually started a different career and it was mind blowing to me. Like I had to, like I had a problem kind of processing this. He's like, okay, so you've kind of gone and done your thing. Like, do you think you, you're going to come back and do hospitality? So I don't, I don't, I don't know exactly what to do with that, but it definitely created a, a slightly uncomfortable moment in the conversation where I was like, you know, I appreciate the offer, dude, but like, I'm not, I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back. And he says, you sure? Like, this isn't just a phase, like you're actually going to leave. And then at that point I realized there never really was full belief that I was going to transition. Cause like, it was like, we were just picking up and go, you know, the other thing that made it uncomfortable is he had already picked up the bill. So we were just kind of sitting there sipping coffee. So he paid. So I also had this sudden realization that this wasn't a friendly lunch. This was a negotiation. This was a business meeting. Uh, I thought I was just, we were just kind of catching up. But it was a funny moment because there was the expectation that I had sort of done the prodigal, right? I had, I had done my year. Now it's time to come back and get back to work. It's funny. Do you ever... Have you had any communication with them? Mm -hmm. I lost touch with most of the staff. Um, I reconnected maybe a year and a half ago. Uh, I think it was maybe on Facebook. I've lost connection again with Maria, who was like the person that kind of took over the kitchen afterwards. Sometimes in the past, I've called her my number one, but she decided to go to Chef's College. So I reconnected with her. We chatted for a little bit. She ended up going with them down to Florida to work on the new concept and then came back up. And now I, I believe she still is the lead. So in the Eaton Center, short short story on this, when um, there was always acrimony between the two brothers that own this store and the parent company. I've told stories here before in the past. We often didn't like the products they were telling us to use. We didn't like the purveyor. So we were always going rogue in there and saying this was something better, something local. Local. So I don't know how soon after, a couple of years, one or two years after I left, the Eaton Center decided not to renew the lease on the restaurant. Sorry. Sorry. Something happened before that. The brothers decided to leave the restaurant and the store went back to corporate. So they went down to Florida and they worked on something. Some of the staff went with them down to Florida. So the thing that they were asking me if I was interested in being presented at that, that dinner meeting, some of the staff, they went and did that. The store went back to corporate because it was a successful restaurant, but the boys walked away from it. They walked away and they said, fine, corporate, take it back. Corporate took it back. I don't think it was run well. So the Eaton Center reached out to the brothers down in the state, said, would you be willing to come back and reopen the restaurant under a new kind of a new, uh, like a new concept? Would you like to come back? Because we're not going to renew the lease. So they weren't going to renew the lease for the restaurant. So the brothers did come back. And I forget, um, they came back. They have a concept in there now that I think is, actually, I don't even know. I actually, I still, I don't know. Actually, I haven't looked at it in a year, but it's in the exact same place. Um, it's a gin, it's a gin name. If someone were to Google map it, it's a white and blue concept. But anyways, they're back in there. They're running it again. Um, they're working in that same that same spot back in Ontario. Um, so it was then that I managed to reach out to a couple people, kind of check in. I reconnected with, I haven't chatted with him in a while, Spiro on Instagram. We kind of found each other on there again. Um, there was the, you know, try and come down, come and visit. You're going to stop by. So there was all those. I haven't made it by. When I left, I kind of left. I didn't, I didn't stop. I didn't go back. I haven't been back. I will say I have been to other Baton Rouges 
I showed actually over this past summer when we were in Montreal, the training team that came to help open the Ontario store that I was a part of came from the downtown Montreal uh, store. So uh, I walked the kids past there and I said, yeah, so this was, I kind of gave them a, like they know of my history at that restaurant. But I said, here's part of where it started even before I knew it was going to be a part of Baton Rouge. Um, and that store still is it there downtown Montreal on St. Catherine street. Very, very busy restaurant. Yeah. Rogue nation, bro. Rogue nation. Rogue nation. It's funny that while you, you know how, so as soon as we got on the rogue nation, I started to put together some type of just fun little video. So I'm pulling a cluff. I'm like working on a little, a little artistic creative thing while we talk about rogue nation, but I, I put something together, a YouTube short. So nice. Yeah. I'm liking that. I'm thinking in YouTube shorts. I'm going to, sorry, quick pivot. I'm, I'm inspired by you and inspired by uh, Rodrigue, Jamie. Jamie um, Rodrigue, yeah. I have another one. Another piece that I'm putting together right now, uh, another poem and some video, and we'll see how that turns out. The other funny thing is, did you know? So I went into my my personal, like my personal YouTube page, like the G, like I was, and I didn't realize anything that's like a minute or less is automatically tagged as a YouTube short. Mm -hmm. Did not know that. I, I did not know that, that too. I learned that. Yeah. So, but I'm gonna see if I can do this with the intention of trying. What I want to try and do is. I actually want to try and use the creative tools that are on my phone to do it because you can actually build what, what you have done for a few years now on video leap and what I've started to play with in video leap. There's some of those creative tools to do it right in YouTube on the app. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to see if I can do this one in there in the app. We'll see. Nice. I've not gone there yet, but uh, I might try it as well. Yeah. Rogue Nation, baby. That's the title for today. What do you... Oh, it's a list? Is it a list? Friday something something. It's a chalkboard. Right? A whiteboard mm -hmm. chalkboard? Mm-hmm. So it's all... Let's see if this will help. I'll bring the light up, see if that'll help at all. Just let it phase in. I see that it says Friday at the top, and then there are some words that look like they're smudged. Yeah. And then at the bottom it says, I think it says December something. Yeah, December 17th, 2021. Oh. Kind of a list. Remember we talked a few times about the dates that we come back to after we've been away from the classroom? Yeah. Yeah, so that's, it's a list of those dates. The coming back to class dates. Well, we'll see. Trigger warning. Well, you did a great piece about that, right? You have a great video piece. I played around with it with the whole in September portfolio that's out yep. there. Just that effect of uh, going away and coming back, the impact. So it's a thing. It's a thing. Well, dude, it was great talking to you today. Yeah, I, I blathered a lot. Today I talked a lot, a lot of restaurant stories. It was nice to talk about Rogue Nation today. <laughs> it was all about Rogue Nation. And how they are kind of in the schools. Like these tech teachers are, they're still out there. And still, you know, you were sharing stories, sharing stories about sort of like, I think a fascination um, with your interaction with tech teachers and hearing some of the stories about how they're operating with students. And, you know, it's, there's, I think that others are still closer to the bone about thinking about their trade as a trade and not as a, not as a, trainable classroom like as not when if because because i would agree the whole idea of flipping trades to online like the the curriculum the curriculum of an english class is pretty versatile it is it obviously whenever we can spend i'm just picking english sorry english teachers um pick math pick whatever there's the trades curriculum does not translate does not translate as well to virtual learning spaces. It does not. And, you know, the trades teachers out there that are, that are stomping their feet and getting pissed off and getting upset and saying that this is not the way to teach kids 
are all righteous in their approach. They are so righteous in their approach because it really is like that. And, you know, there are some, there are some I've met just like other <clears throat> teachers that you can kind of go, well, that was kind of like a little too extreme, but I feel in some ways they are the, the tent pegs. They're one of the tent pegs on sort of trying to keep in mind the potential positive things about working together in the same spaces and working with our hands and creating a physical thing, actually creating a physical thing and having that as a way to sort of demonstrate your learning. Right. So, uh, you know, hats off to the, all the tech teachers out there that are so angry right now that they just don't know what to do. They don't know what to do with themselves because they're the ones that are reminding us about what the appropriate irritation, one of the other appropriate irritations in doing online learning is, uh, you know, being forced and music teachers could be in a similar space. Um, uh, but uh, you know, other curricular areas, maybe drama teachers might be feeling the same thing. Um, there's a lot of curriculum that works in a virtual mode a lot better, a lot better than, um, than some. So on that note, on that note, season five, episode 16 of a decoded rogue podcast. Oh, epic.